Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. I'm talking today with Dr. Zaneda Robles. Born and raised in Southern California, Zaneda holds a Doctor of Musical Arts degree from the USC Thornton School of Music, a Master's of Music from CSU Northridge, and a BM degree from CSU Long Beach. She is a fierce advocate for, for diversity and inclusion in music education and performance. Zaneda served for five years as music director for Project Messiah with Street Symphony, an organization that engages communities in Los Angeles County affected with homelessness and incarceration. She serves on the board of the National Association of Negro Musicians and is chair of the board of directors of the ensemble Tonality. Zaneda Robles, welcome to Movable Dough. Thanks for having me, Steve. Now, I'm going to let my listeners in on a little secret here. This is actually the second time we've talked the first time we recorded, I have to admit, I made a mistake and it didn't record at all. So, <laughs> so I decided just to come up with a, a new set of questions completely and throw her off. No, I, I didn't do that for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'd like to start today with a statement that I read on your website uh, that says authentic interpersonal connections and relationship building are core principles of her teaching and performance methods. So I'd like to dive a little deeper into that statement. So what are you doing in your work and through your music that accomplishes those core principles? I'm trying to get to know my singers and I'm trying to get my singers to know the stories and the relationships that have that com that comprise the music that we sing. So when I'm conducting, that's definitely a massive part of my work is really trying to establish the con a connection between the performer and the music and, and, and the composer. So any type of relationship building that I can facilitate um, throughout the artistic process helps to helps me to build that authentic interpersonal relationship and, and all of that that's needed to really um, effectively con convey the artistry and the meaning in the piece. Sure, how do you go about storytelling in your in your music? Is that through programming or through discussions you have in the classroom? How are you approaching that? Oh, that's a great question. All of the above. Uh, stories are told on multiple levels in our work. And so we, of course, want our music making to have some component of storytelling. You know, we want there to be at least some, some kind of message conveyed. We want the, our audience to come away with some feeling or some deeper understanding of either what we're trying to say or what we're trying to express or, or, or of us, you know, but yeah. we're also storytelling in the classroom. Um, when I'm working with my church ensembles, we're storytelling in the ensemble, in the sanctuary where we, we want, oftentimes we will preface a performance or even preface a rehearsal by giving the background of a, of a composer you know, either e even in the concert, um, that that's something that happens. And you, you've, we've seen this, you know, in different concerts, it always benefits the audience to, to have a, as much information as possible to, to build more of a personal connection so that you can, so you get something, some meaning from your experience, whether you're the performer or either the audience member. 
Absolutely. Well, I'd like to dive a little bit more into your story. So let's take it back to you growing up in Southern California. So how did you start in music? Were you doing piano lessons, voice lessons? What were you doing? I, the very first instrument I took lessons on for about six months was an accordion because we couldn't afford a piano and we didn't have access to piano. That only lasted, like I said, for about six months because I really wanted to play the piano. And so eventually we got a piano. It was a, this, this old, um, but rather durable, uh, upright grand piano, the kind with the windows that open in the yeah. front, you know, and, um, and it didn't, it, it was so large. Those things are really kind of bulky and heavy <laughs> and it was so large and heavy. It didn't fit in our tiny little house where we were living. So it stayed in the garage. So I played the garage, the piano in the garage for, you know, during my first piano lessons, which I started when I was in third grade. Um, and, uh, I, that, that went up until we moved, we moved around all over Southern California. Um, and eventually I, I, figured out that um, to get into the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts, which is where I wanted to go. So I've always known I was a musician. So the question was, what was I going to do? And I thought it would be easiest to sing because um, you could just open your mouth and things come out. I didn't feel like I necessarily, I could, and I could memorize a song. I, I was a little, I was kind of lazy. I didn't want to practice. <laughs> Honestly, you know, that's my reality. That's my truth. Um, so anyway, I, I started taking voice lessons at that point And eventually I just became you know, fell in love with singing and, and uh, harmony, particularly. I've always loved to harmonize. And that's what that's what this is all about for me. Sure. So I assume you were in uh, choir all through high school and uh, into college and things like that. Yes. Yeah. Once I got to the LA High School for the Arts, I was I was I was in choirs consistently through my schooling. Incidentally, one other thing, I, I also played flute. I took up flute in middle school. And uh-huh. uh, uh, we had a tiny little band. <laughs> Our little band was very cute. It was like nine of us or something like that. And <laughs> I was I was first chair flute. Um, and I still enjoy playing flute just recreationally. It's a great, but that's really, that. that's where I really learned how to, um, to sight read. Um, so, were yeah. the, Did you say there were nine flutes or nine people in the band total? Nine people in the band total. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> just a flute. A flute. I mean, a flute choir would be nice. I've seen a flute choir. <laughs> but no, it was nine people in the band total, including, you know, a few saxophones, a couple of flutes and a drummer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, that's that's what you get. That was our band. <laughs> so as I mentioned in your bio, uh, you are an advocate for diversity and inclusion in music education, a, a stance that I wholeheartedly support, by the way. Uh, so did you grow up in an environment that didn't foster diversity and inclusion? Is that why you developed a strong feeling or or did this idea grow as you got older and saw more of the world? This it definitely was an idea that grew as I became um, older and as I, uh, you know, through, went throughout my studies and, um, you know, it grew out of my, my own personal need to, to see myself, you know, um, reflected in, you know, the, the work that, that I, the works that I was doing and sure. in the ensembles that I was watching, you know, I, you know, you want to, that representation piece was something that was missing coming through my educational experience. And I didn't really realize that. I didn't, it didn't really occur to me that that was something that I would miss until I got later into my, um, my, uh, my, 
later education, mm-hmm. um, graduate work. And, and, and I started to, to realize that there were things, there were composers and pedagogues and there was music um, that just wasn't a part of my education. Um, and it was the music of the people that looked like me. And it wasn't right. just the, the idiomatic music of, you know, black composers, you know, the spirituals and the gospel and so, which by the way, I, I wholeheartedly believe that that should be in music programs too. There's no reason why we shouldn't be studying. If we're gonna be complete musicians, we should be studying our music, you know, as Americans, that's me. But, but even, but the classical music, where, where were the people that looked like me that were creating the classical music? You know, the conductors, the composers, the, the singers even. I just wasn't seeing that and it didn't bother me until I got old enough and, you know, maybe educated enough to realize it should bother me. And that's sure. when I decided to, to kind of, you know, make, you know, really um, outwardly, you know, say, this is what I'm going to, to strive for and work toward. Sure. Did you eventually find other composers, uh, African-American composers or conductors uh, that you could look up to and that were inspiring you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Once it's like once the light gets turned on, you, you can't take it, you can't turn it back off. And we're at a point now where I can honestly say I believe that there has been there have been huge strides in terms of representation uh, of all kinds of identities in the choral sphere. Um, I don't, I, my hope is that no young black woman will grow up not having seen or been conducted by another young black woman, you know, or sung a work by another black woman. That was my experience until much later in my college life. So, sure. um, so, so at this point, yes, I see that happening. And you know, there were many people along the way. Uh, eventually, I discovered, you know, you know, my, my three, the three that I continuously looked towards, my guiding stars were probably um, uh, uh, Andre Thomas and uh, Anton Armstrong and um, uh, probably Rosephany Powell. And, mm-hmm. and there's several others. Those were the were conductors. Rosephany Powell was one of the, was the, probably the, one of the first um, African-American female composers whose music I sang. Um, and now I'm just, I'm, I have, I have a list of, of African-American female composers um, and, and African-American male and female composers just on my wall because I'm trying to memorize the names because I don't want to forget. I want to, sure. I want that always to be present um, in my, in my consciousness. Um, and I'm still working on it because I didn't learn that stuff in school. So it's not as, it doesn't recall as quickly as, yeah. you know, some of the other dead white guys. It's okay. <laughs> you know, you do what you can. Well, you should go back and listen to my interview with Rosephany. I had a great conversation with her. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm curious, when did you start composing music? I composed my first choral piece in high school. And uh, it was, I guess I was 15 or so. And wow. um, I hadn't, you know, I, at that point I had sung in, I guess I had been in choir, my very first classical choir, classical choir um, at for about a year. I bet that was uh, probably my first year um, at the LA County High School for the Arts as a 10th grader. And so that year I saw, I held my first piece of choral music. And by the end of the year, I wrote my first piece of choral music. Um, and so, and, and it was great. It, it, it was a, a, 
it was a piece, it was my Psalm 121, which I'm still, which it was, I mean, it was solid enough that I, I've had to make very few um, edits on it. I, I, I like it the way that it is. I'm, I'm sure there are things that could be tweaked about it and everything like that. But, you know, my 15 year old brain came up with, with something I think was pretty good and um, try to honor where I was at that time by letting the piece speak for itself. Um, so yeah, and, and that's being sung, you know, it's being sung and sold all over the place now. That's great. That's great to know that you could write something that young and still have it something that you want to listen to. <laughs> that's not always the case. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> there's other things that I've written that are, that's not the case. You know? <laughs> so Don't worry. There's been plenty of junk that's come out of this brain as well. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, in addition to being a composer, you are also an accomplished singer. So not only a concert soprano soloist, but also professional ensemble singer. So I found your IMDb page where I saw some of your credits. So you were a score vocalist for such films as Minions, Frozen 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Mulan, and my personal favorite, Star Wars Episode 7, The Last Jedi. <laughs> so I guess that's one of the perks of being in L.A. So what is what is the experience like working in these studio ensembles? It's just fantastic. I love session singing. It's, it's, it's really hard to get into in some ways because... Um, the, you know, the, the networking is, is, I mean, that's the reason you come to, to Southern California. It's, you know, if you want to do this kind of work, this is where you can do that, that kind right. of work. Now, you know, there, things are changing in some ways where there's, there's plenty of remote work doing, being done, but um, there's nothing like going into the studio with, with 10 or 20 of the, the, the most, you know, accomplished singers in town. And you just read something down, you know, um, pretty much perfectly because that's the expectation. I think a lot of singers um, would be intimidated by that, but um, the opportunity to harmonize and make music and blend with people like right there, like, and, and, and it just sounds great right away. Like that's such a driving factor into like that. It like motivates me to, to want to get it right the first time. And so yeah. while some might, you know, be, you know, intimidated or nervous about it. I thrive on it. I'm like, let's do this. Let's just get it right. You know, and, and no mistakes, you know, you get, you get, you get one chance to sing through it. Maybe if you make a mistake, you correct it. But after that, there's no mistakes. And if you're making mistakes after that, you're probably not getting called again. So I love wow. that. high <laughs> That is high. <laughs> the music's typically not terribly difficult. You know, it's, if you're confident in your, in your sight reading ability and you have some experience and training, it's not that it's terribly difficult. It's just that it's, it's gotta be right. Um, and you gotta be able to, you know, if there's a high A, you can't come in there and complain about not being warmed up. You better be warm, you know? And I love that. Um, let's get this done right now. Kind of attitude in there. And it's, yeah. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about star Wars, cause I'm a huge star Wars fan. When you did last Jedi was John Williams in the studio. Did you work with him? Yes. <laughs> what, was, what's that like? And so it, that was one of my favorite experiences. First of all, that was probably the largest studio call I'd ever been on. I mean, the John William, the orchestras that record his, you know, film scores are massive. You know, you got to have deep, deep horn section, um, you know, full strings, everybody. And, and the choir was because it's, it's got to be epic, right? Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, there were over a hundred singers in there. It was on a massive soundstage. And, but the thing about it is, is it's, it was different performing for John Williams on the soundstage than it was performing for him 
um, at the Hollywood Bowl. Because at the Hollywood Bowl, you know, it's just, it's kind of like a gig atmosphere. It's sure. fun and it's great. And it's it's really great to sing live John Williams music. But in the, in the studio, you know you're creating something special, something that's gonna be preserved, you know, for posterity. And when and what's what's unique about John Williams, I I'm trying to recall, did he he don't he didn't really rehearse it with the ensemble? It's like it just comes out of us, you know. It just that people just know how to how to sing Star Wars because it's been around for so long. It's like it's a, it's in our American DNA. That's I right. Know. We just, you know, you know what I mean. And, but but I feel like the moment we did, I, I it was just while you were singing it, you could feel the Star Wars magic, and John Williams is right there embodying. He's like the yeah. Jedi of, of the century, you know. And it's just. Uh, there it's it's i can't i just can't describe how powerful that was being in that session with him not on the stage but knowing that he this is his heart and soul music you know like that's 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 you know the epitome of what star wars is is that music and we were we were singing that score for the first time for everybody like (laughs) (laughs) well i am definitely stealing that phrase musical jedi and using it to describe John Williams from now on. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, <laughs> well, I got one last question before you take a quick break. Uh, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would it be about? Mm. It's funny you asked me this question before, too. And I just actually don't remember what you said. <laughs> um, if, I think I think I may, maybe it was something about voice, but I I thought of something. That, one thing that has come up is there was uh, I I've come. Oh, I remember balance resonate flow. I would love to uh-huh. write a book called Balance Resonate Flow because these three concepts I have found run run like a thread through all of my work, especially in connection to conducting and singing. You need all three elements, balance, resonance, and flow in order to efficiently be a conductor, to conduct efficiently, and also to sing efficiently. Incidentally, you also need that in yoga. Um, and there are other practices and, and athletic endeavors where those concepts of balance, resonance, and flow are crucial for efficient you know, operation. And so like, I, would, I would love to explore that in a book if I was ever gonna write one. Um, exactly. I'm probably never going to write that book, but <laughs> if I was, that's maybe what I would write about. Well, I would read it. That sounds interesting. I, I could definitely see that applying into composition as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, after we take a quick break, we will listen to some of Zaneda's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Dr. Zaneda Robles. So we're going to start today with your Veni Sancte Spiritus, Come Holy Spirit. So I love the energy of the vocal parts against the piano part. So you, you're alternating back and forth between Latin and English. You know, this is a pleading for the presence of the Holy Spirit. It felt so passionate when I was listening. I'm just curious, were you writing this for a particular choir or was this a piece living inside of you that just had to come out? So um, maybe living inside of me that had to come out, but not not originally for a choir um i wrote i wrote this piece which really began as a as a love song as a pop song it was a pop song that i conceived of 
while driving on the freeway in, in college, in my undergraduate years, um, to go visit my boyfriend. So <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, and it has these really cheesy, like love song lyrics, which you will never, ever hear. <laughs> but, but I wrote this love song and, and it was influenced, at, at, you know, throughout my, you know, um, middle school and high school years, I was influenced by a lot of um, pop music and some uh, avant-garde, like kind of new age stuff. I was really into Sting and I was really into Yanni and I was really into different um like music with mixed meters and, and complex meters and things. And so I kind of had this, this five, four groove kind of in my head. And I just was like, hey, this groove is kind of like, you know, some, you know, like Sting has some really groovy five, four things that he does. And so, so I was kind of like along that, those lines. And um, so the piece was born in the car um, and no one ever really heard it. Um, and eventually I got to, uh, I got to USC in my doctorate. I actually did perform the, I, I arranged it for choir because I was taking an arranging class uh-huh. with Dr. Morton Lordson. And I was like, well, let me just use some stuff I already have. I think this, this would be cool to arrange for choir because it, it, it again, harmony. I love to harmonize, and you know. And so I arranged for choir and figured out how to write a piano part. Um, and eventually I figured out I probably could actually sell it if it didn't have my cheesy high school love poem lyric you know <laughs> um and so and so also taking a page from Lauritsen's book I, I sort of modeled like the lyric treatment after the way he treats his Vinnie Sancte Spiritus and his Lux Eterna which uh-huh. is very wordy and syllabic um and so I sort of kind of did a did a similar treatment where it's kind of wordy and syllabic and at the end and I also added kind of a refrain which is in English so you have Latin and English happening and it tends to work all right. Well, we're going to take some time here. We're going to listen to Veni Sancte Spiritus, uh, but preferably the Latin version and not the love song version. Not the love song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, performed here in a multi-track version by Zaneda Robles. Spiritus et emite celitus, lucis tu et arium, veni sancte spiritus, lucis tu et arium, veni pater paperum, veni dator bunerum, veni lumen cordium, consolator optime, tuicis hospes alime, tuicis refrigerium, veni sancte spiritus in labore requies, in esu Vinte tu solatium, veni sancte spiritus. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Send from heaven, send the light rays of light. O Lux Beatissima, Spiritus 
consolación ven y santo espíritu Let's turn next to Psalm 61. So the text of this piece comes from the first two verses of Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. I call upon you from the ends of the earth with heaviness in my heart. Set me upon the rock that is higher than I. So were these verses chosen for you as part of a commission, or did you choose them on your own? I chose these words on my own. Um, the piece was already sort of alive and existing. Again, this this came out of an, uh, maybe a little bit later period of my when I was working um, on my skills in, in composition with Dr. Lordson at USC, and but it was very rough. And so when Tonality um, and Alex Blake um, asked me to to write this piece to to give to, you know I need a piece you know for this particular concert, I think I think this. This concert, uh, I can't recall which which uh, theme that it was on, but it was a it, it needed to have um, a sense of of uh, you know just some just hearing this idea of hear my cry you know listen to we're we're constantly you know especially in tonality talking about stories that need to be told and often wanting to be heard right so. Mm-hmm. That it fit the tonality, it fit the needs of the ensemble well, and this, and so I, I took that as an opportunity to sort of really mold this piece that kind of came out of a period of time when I was really sort of depressed, um, and we're trying to, you know, that's what we're trying to destigmatize mental health, and mm-hmm. so um, that that piece really, uh, the Psalm sixty one really sort of is the distillation of sort of my journey from not feeling heard, not feeling set, feeling unsettled, um, and, and this yearning for help and eventually the reassurance that comes towards the end as we settle into the key area, knowing that 
there is there is you are there is a way to be heard. We are being heard. We are being held. We are ultimately being um, loved by something that's bigger than us. Sure. Did you feel that working on this piece? Did you feel that um, that the text helped you resolve problems in your own life as you worked through the piece? I think so. Um, I don't think I really thought about it at the time, but it definitely working the piece, writing the piece was definitely part of a, a, a process, a, mm-hmm. a part of my processing of these emotions. And so when I hear, when I hear it, it, it actually is very satisfying because I hear my journey from this state of, of unsettledness to a state of, of, you know, comfort or, or you know, security. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's really satisfying to hear. All right. Well, let's take a moment here and listen to Psalm 61 performed by Tonality.
All right. Third today, let's go to She Lingers On. So you talk about this piece by comparing it to the feeling of being submerged underwater with waves of despair crashing over you, keeping you down, but still trying to continue on. What can you tell me about writing this piece? Another, It's another um, kind of uh, deep dive into this, this issue of mental health and depression specifically. And um, I don't, you know, I often have thought about, I, I think about music a lot in terms of water and waves. I, I, and I, sometimes I feel and I sense this idea of water. Um, and so it's, you know, with just this, just comparing this, the feeling of being depressed to, to not being able to get out of water, not being able to breathe, you know, mm-hmm. not being able to mentally breathe um, and feeling like every time you try to get going, you know, something, something pulls you back. Um, and you just need to sit this in this piece, the journey is sort of like trying to, maybe you're submerged and you're trying to swim to the top, you know, and eventually you do get to the top. And so the idea of lingering on is sort of like, you know, maybe you've made it to the top of the pool or the lake or whatever, the ocean probably. And you're, but you're still there. You're not out of the water. You're always going to be in the water but you can't let yourself, but you can't let yourself drown. All right. Well, we're going to listen now to She Lingers On.
All right, our last piece today is Nuc Dimittis, another biblical text, this time from the Gospel of Luke, the Song of Simeon. So I'm interested in your writing process. Where do you begin with a piece like this? Did you sit down with the text at the piano, start playing around with melody, or did you live with the text for a while until you felt melodic inspiration? Can you step us through this and talk about what this means to you? This piece is a companion piece to my Magnificat, which mm -hmm. I wrote um, as a study um, actually, during my um, my work in my master's program at Cal State Northridge, I, I just took a composition class on the side. Understand, I never kind of, I, I really never thought of myself as a composer. I was just kind of doing stuff on the side, you know. So I wrote a Magnificat as an assignment for that, and then while I was uh, and, and I was exploring this, um, I was exploring the. Um, use of octatonic scale, which is the scale that alternates between half step, whole step, half step, whole step. It's different from our major and minor scales, which has a kind of a, pat, a set pattern of, you know, whole step, half, 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 half whole, half, whole. You, you know the pattern if you went through there, you know. <laughs> so the octatonic scale, it just alternates basically. And so it creates this really cool kind of um, exotic sounding scale. Um, and it also, outlines sort of these different key areas that kind of move around immediate relationships around thirds. And so it's really, it, it just creates a really uh, interesting harmonic character. And so I was playing with that in the Mag, in the Magnificat. And um, I got asked by my church choir director, um, who was a mentor of mine, um, to, uh, he said, you know, hey, if you write, a, if you might write a new Dimittis, we can do it for an even song. And so I like, think, <laughs> Can't have a mag without a new diminus. So the new diminus is like the next, the next evolution of my exploration of this octonic scale. Um, and you can hear in it, I, I really expose the scale. It's very present in the material. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not hiding it at all. Basically, you'll hear the scale in the in the keyboard parts um, where it's ascending, and you'll hear the vocal part kind of descending on top of it. And so with the text, it's it's great because this text sort of talks, it's when Simeon's sort of dying. And um, he's talking about, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. And so at the end with the amen, you can, it's kind of the way that I weave the scale together and the chords creates this sense that you hear him dying and ascending to heaven. I like, I like to imagine. So I try to, at least that's what I try to do using this kind of exotic scale. Sure. All right. Well, we'll listen for it as we listen to Nuke Dimitis. Uh, performed by the Coventry Choir of All Saints Church, Pasadena, California, with James Walker, conductor.
So Zaneda, what are you working on now? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I'm working on my lesson plans for my classes. <laughs> <laughs> um, compositionally, I have a couple of works that um, I'm working on. Um, I have a, a organ piece that I kind of finished up recently. That was really interesting. I'm working on um, composing more for organ. I really have discovered I love that instrument. Um, I don't know nearly enough about it. I'm not an organist, but I have lots of organ friends um, who will remind me when they see my organ scores that, oh, you are not an organist, you know? So <laughs> I, I get a lot of help from, from friends and colleagues, um, but I just think it's such a powerful one. So I'm trying to, I'm, I'm exploring organ works um, and works for organ and choir. And I'm also writing, I wrote, a, wrote up my first piece in using a German poem uh, kind of a nature text. And um, so setting the German language has been interesting and uh, with strings. And so I'm trying to branch out beyond just piano and piano and choir. Um, uh -huh. I'd like to add more instruments and just explore different things. So there's a lot of learning that has to take place. You don't, you don't just sit down and, you know, I'm going to write for, you know, this could be, you know, a string quartet or, you know, whatever. Um, you don't play strings. You kind of need to educate yourself. And so that I'm in the process of educating myself on all the instruments and configurations that I would love to, to explore in my composition, my composing. Fantastic. Well, if my listeners want to learn more about you, where can they go? Where, what's your website? My website is just my first and last name, zanetarobles.com. And you can see I have a blog that I, um, I uh, produce every month. I, I just do a little write-up of kind of what I'm doing in, in life. And I always include sort of, you know, kind of tidbits of things that have been helpful for me to think about. And maybe they're helpful for some of my readers. And then you'll also, I always, always try to include something for fun, you know, including like, for example, pictures of my new little kitten, which is just the love of my life right now. <laughs> you'll, always, you'll see a kitten picture in there occasionally if you if you sign up for or subscribe to my blog. Um, and I would I would love to to build that that readership because it's really fun to interact with folks. Um, and also you can listen to my SoundCloud page if you if you go to SoundCloud and you look up Zaneda Robles. I have many of my works um, on that SoundCloud page, including the one. If you want to hear anything again several of the works that you heard today. I think all of them are actually on my SoundCloud page. So please avail yourselves. I'd love to, to be in touch. All right. Sounds great. And hey, listeners out there, if you are enjoying today's episode, please tell three of your friends about it. Let them know why you enjoy listening to Movable Dough. And then make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcast provider so you don't miss any upcoming content. Well, Zaneda Robles, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. Even the second time was even better than the first. So thank I know, you. I feel like, I feel like we <laughs> connection and now we can go deeper right see that's right <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me today on movable dough my pleasure thanks for having me steve my guest today was composer dr zaneda robles if you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show please email me at movable at gmail.com this is steve danielson keep the music moving